Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is a picture of the Great Wall of Parson Hill. (laughs) Parson Hill is what we call our house. I'm the parson. I live on a hill, so it's Parson Hill. And uh, this is the the Great Wall of Parson Hill. Uh, Like the Great Wall of China, also built to keep the Mongol hordes out and also built with slave labor. <laughs> Mostly mine. <laughs> now a fence is not a complicated building project. But it is complex. There are many details that must be accomplished starting with the depth of the holes, the amount of concrete, the size of the post, the placement of the post. Other supporting lumber, the fence boards, finally the caps on the post. The caps are not there for looks only. They're there to keep the exposed end of the wood from absorbing too much water and rotting right down through the middle. There are a a myriad of parts that have to be in place for a fence to work properly. And in a similar manner, the same thing is true of the Christian life. The Christian life is not complicated But it is complex. There are many parts that must be in place. Any given behavior, any given attitude is supported by many beliefs and actions. Helping you understand this is why I've created this pyramid diagram that I call the building blocks of righteousness. At the top of this pyramid is the visible part of our Christian life. It's whether or not we live in peace. It's whether or not we live in joy. It's whether or not we are productive in the kingdom of God. It's whether or not we we are honest. It's whether or not we, we do any of the myriad things that God has asked us, God has commanded us to do. It's the visible part of our Christian life. But the visible part of our Christian life is supported by all of these other building blocks. And we began this series understanding why the Word of God has to be the absolute foundation. The reason I love the Gideon ministry is because they're about handing out God's Word. And saying, look, read this, it'll change your life. It will. And I want to come back to that at the end of this this message today, but... The Word of God must be the foundation for life. You can choose a worldview based on other ideas, but you need to know that the Word of God is an exclusive worldview. You cannot mix the Word of God with other ideas and other thoughts. It has to be purely the Word of God, and it is the foundation upon which we build. In in Christianity, if we don't have the Word of God, there's no reason for us to gather, because there's no other truth outside of the Word of God. The Word of God chiefly brings us salvation. It is the the primary benefit, if you will. It is the thing that changes our life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Word of God brings us to salvation. Salvation brings us on to the other things that will come above. And, uh, and certainly we might even say that one of the chief benefits of salvation is Godward. That is, we become people who are able to honor God with our life. 
On salvation, other truths must be built if godly maturity will come out. The first is this. God has the only truth for life. Am I going to be saved by God's truth and then look outside of the Bible to find wisdom for my life? Or am I going to be saved by God's truth and I, am I going to solely look there? I believe we ought to only look to God's truth for life. Number two, we have to believe that God has the power to enable change. Do we believe that God can actually change us? Or do we believe the commands of God are, are simply some piece of someone else's clothing that we put on that don't fit quite right? Number three, we have to believe that God will meet our needs if we walked in obedience. If I obey what God says, can I trust Him to meet my needs? If I am honest, even though I see a, a dishonest way to make great gain, if I am honest, will God provide for me? Or is it up to me to make things happen in my life? Must I manipulate my circumstances? Or can I walk on God's path trusting Him to meet my needs? In a similar but slightly different way, I must also believe that not only will God meet my needs, but that he will reward my righteous living. Hebrews 11.6 says that if we're going to please God, we must not only believe that God exists, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. John 10.10 says that Jesus said, I have come to give you abundant life. If we don't believe that the God life is the abundant, wonderful life, we will not achieve godly maturity. As long as we are halting between two opinions, as long as we are walking on the fence, saying, I'm not sure if God, the God life is the good life. I think maybe my life will be a better life. As long as we walk that fence, we cannot know the blessing and maturity that God wants to bring to us. Interestingly enough, we also don't enjoy this other life. If you're in Christ, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the worst place you can be is on the fence. Because you cannot enjoy sin. The Holy Spirit, every time you sin, will go, don't do that, don't do that. And he'll ramp it up and ramp it up until you can't stand yourself. But you're also not enjoying Christ. You're not enjoying the good things that God has for you. Trying to live in the middle and keep your one foot in sin and one foot in righteousness is the absolute worst. I, I, I would urge you, if that's you today, let go of this side and just give yourself to the Lord. Because He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Last week we looked at this truth, my life is focused on God's glory. Once we understand that God's truth, God's word is where I should get my wisdom for life, then we say, what is the focus of my life? Am I about my career, my ideas, my goals, my joys, or am I about God's plans for my life? Is it my will or His will? And what God wants is for us to say, God, I'm living for you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to follow you, and trust you for the results. Today, as we go on to the next uh, three or four truths, I'm only going to talk about one of them today, don't worry. Um, I have found, um, or I want to communicate to you a concept to begin with. And that, that concept is this, the divine human cooperative. Now I know for some of you, if you know your Bible well, if you've studied you might get a little red flag creeping up. 
the divine human cooperative, am I going to help God out in something? Well, let me say a few things about this, and maybe you'll understand the concept. And then we'll look at some scripture, which I think makes it real clear. Um, I, I, I think the divine human cooperative has really summarized what I'm, what I'm calling. This is my own term, and uh, you can coin another one if you like something better. But, but here's what God says. Uh, God commands Christians to use the power he has placed within us to develop the life he has put within us. Look at Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, God is not telling us to earn our salvation. That is absolutely not what he is telling us. God implants the life of Christ when we believe on Christ who died for our sins. We say, I cannot save myself. Only Christ can save me. And so we put our faith in him, and he puts the life of Christ within us. Somebody has put it this way based on these verses. We need to work out what God has worked in. God has put the life of Christ in us, and he says, now you need to be busy about this. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. You see, there is a divine human cooperative. I don't want to take anything away from God and his power. Because I would not be a believer if God did not reach down and draw me to himself. I would not be a believer if God didn't set up the circumstances of my life so that I would be in church and I would hear the gospel and he wooed me to himself and I said, yes, I want Jesus in my heart. And if God didn't do that, I would not be standing here today. And similarly, if God did not put the life of Christ in me, I could not do any good thing as a believer. I am nothing special. God is. But what God has told me is this. Look, I've put the Christian life in you, and I want you to give effort to developing it. Now, we might look and say, why did God make salvation a work holy of himself, and yet in the Christian life he expects us to work and give effort? And the answer to that is to be found in heaven. Uh, God could have just instantly made us, boom, perfectly righteous like Christ. He could have done that. It's not outside of his power. But he did not choose to do so. When we got saved, we were saved from the penalty of sin you will never be punished for the sin in your life once you come to true faith in christ you will never go to heaven and stand at the gates of heaven and god will say why should i let you in here that won't happen you will go straight into the presence of god absent from the body present with the lord because the penalty of your sin has been washed away and because of that god sees you as righteous but the presence of your sin in your daily life is being pushed out by God's work and your work together. It starts with God and it ends with God, but you have to be involved in the process. Let me give you a, a, a small illustration. When two people get married, they... Uh, say vows in front of witnesses, they sign a piece of paper, 
And when that's done, a fellow like me says, by the power vested in me by the state of Washington, and as a minister of the gospel, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Boom! You're married. Are they done building their relationship? Uh, one of them thinks he is. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> uh, we got married. Is it, what else is there left to do? Well, I got a little list here, buddy. Okay. It's the same way with Christianity. When you got saved, you got as saved as you're going to be, but you did not get as righteous as you're going to be on this planet. Okay. Kids, I know some of you, none of you know what it's like to be married. There's a great treat waiting for you. <laughs> Boys, men, men in training. Let me give you an illustration. When you enter school this fall, whether it's homeschool or public school, you'll be in different grades. Let's, let's say you're going to be a sixth grader. Okay? So on the first day of school, they start calling you a sixth grader. Do you know everything that a sixth grader will know by the end of the year? No, you don't. Okay? But you're still a sixth grader. Unless you're really bad, then you get kicked out, you know. <laughs> no, but you see, it's the same thing. You are a sixth grader, but you have things to learn as a sixth grader. Christians, you are a Christian, but you have things to learn. And that's what this divine human cooperative is, is about. Now, here's the thing that... I. It's really simple, but you got to get it. If you don't work, you won't grow. God is not going to do it for you. Now, I will say this. If you don't work at your Christianity, God will motivate you. Yeah, that's what Hebrews 12 is about. God doesn't punish us. You get this right also, Christian. God doesn't punish Christians when they sin. No, he motivates us. Daughter Molly is here, and husband and family from eastern Washington, they call it a reminder. Would you like a reminder? God will give you a reminder. And the reminder is, you're supposed to be growing. That is part of the divine human cooperative as well. This, these verses, Philippians 2, 13, 12 and 13, this concept of working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. This is the basis of all the commands in the New Testament. All of the stuff that is told to us to do is based on the idea that I am supposed to be working at this relationship. I am supposed to be working at developing my godliness. God commands Christians to use the power he has placed within us to develop the life he has put within us. You see how it starts with God. We have to carry on, and then he is at work at the same time. Within that concept of the divine human cooperative, I want to go on to this next idea, which is this. Uh, am I thinking like Christ? Now, we spent several sermons talking about your thought life, and I'm not going to rehash all of that material. If you weren't here, you can go back and get the CDs or download whatever you want to do from the website. But, but I do want to summarize some thoughts today, because 
again, within this whole environment, okay, I have decided I'm going to live my life for God. Well, the first part of what we need to do after we make that decision, and and perhaps even as we make that decision every day, is to say, I will think like Christ. Why is our thinking important? If I don't think like Him, if I don't think like Him, I can never be like Him. If I don't evaluate the world around me like he, like he does, I can never respond to the world around me as he would. If I don't make choices based on his truth, I will not get to the places he wants me to go. Ephesians 4 says this, says it this way, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk or live your life like the rest of the Unbelievers, the word Gentile is often a synonym for an unbeliever, someone who has never come to faith in Christ. You should no longer walk as the rest of the unbelievers do. How? In the futility of their mind. God clearly understands that unbelievers have a thought process, they have a worldview, and they live that way, and that's why they live the way they do. He says, look, Christian, don't live that way. No longer They have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all in cleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you should put off concerning your former conduct the old sinful self, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed... In the spirit of your mind. This is where it starts, where godliness starts. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. With that in mind, let me just ask this question and answer it today. What are some of the broad thoughts God wants me to think? Okay, God doesn't tell us, if I could say it in real super fine detail, every thought we should think. But he gives us guiding concepts. So let's think about some of those. Here's one. Am I primarily concerned about my own desires, or am I concerned for others? Philippians 2.4 is an example of that truth. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. You have to ask yourself when you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to make a plan, is my... Goal here to please myself. Now there's times when, you know, you're by yourself at work and it's lunchtime and you're trying to decide between Taco Bell and Arby's and you just make a decision and go. Okay, I understand that. But there's times when somebody else comes and says, hey, let's go to lunch together. And you have to say, oh, I want to be by myself. So are you going to then say, you know what? God wants me to bring glory to him. And this fellow is asking to go to lunch. Am I trying to please myself or am I trying to care for others? Maybe the Lord's going to use this in his life. So this is a broad thought we ought to think. We have to think it in regard to our families. We have to think it in regard to the church. We have to think it everywhere we are. Another thought. Am I trying to demonstrate my greatness or am I trying to care for others? 
Am I trying to demonstrate my greatness or care for others? Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Why am I about to tell this story? Why am I about to do this thing? Why am I about to, what I'm going to do, is it because I'm trying to help others see how great I am? Or is it because I'm caring for them? Boy, that's a challenging thought. and It's hard for us to put ourselves behind and put others first. Boy, that's tough. Another broad thought. Am I thinking about how I can contribute to the unity of the body of Christ? Ephesians 4 says it this way. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, that is personal humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. As you relate to the church is one of your thoughts. How can I promote, preserve, and encourage unity here? Or are you self-driven. I have an agenda. I have something I want. I have something I don't like. And I'm going to push, push, push until it happens. This is a godly thought. How can I contribute to the unity of the body of Christ? Here's another one. Am I thinking purely in terms of sexual righteousness? Jesus said this, I say to you, whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We have to judge these thoughts. Not just men, but women. We have to say, am I thinking purely? Or am I allowing my fantasy life to go on? Am I trying to understand how I can bring glory to God? We've talked about that at length last week. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As I consider my life, as I make my plans, as I look into the future, is part of it, is it centered around how am I going to honor God in this? Or is it what's comfortable for me, what's fun for me, what do I want to accomplish, all those kinds of things. Another thought is this, am I making decisions based on an expectation that God will provide for my needs? Again, this is a review from what we talked about in some of the earlier messages. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's so easy to look at our life and assume that we're going to be out of resources. I can do this, but I can't do that. I can afford this, but I can't afford that. And really, many of those decisions are based on what will be comfortable. Whereas God often calls us into challenging things. And so when he calls us into a challenging time, do we make that decision based on a belief that God's going to provide for me? Am I making decisions based on a belief in God's reward of righteousness? We talked about this just a minute ago. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Very, very frequently, when I talk to people who are in a struggle in their life, as they look into the future... Righteousness always carries for them a vision of doom. Not eternal doom, but temporal doom. If I do what God says, ooh, that's going to be hard, that's going to be bad, something's going to get worse, so on and so forth. You know, and oftentimes righteousness is very challenging, but we should look into the future and say, you know what? God is a rewarder 
a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The godly path is the blessed path. Another thought, am I making life choices that will contribute to others becoming disciples? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brother Jim stood up here and said, we're ha- passing out the Bible, buck 40, all over the world. And you sat there and said, I'm going to give, or I'm not going to give. And the question I would ask is, did you stop and say, God has commanded me to make disciples all over the world. Now what am I doing about it? And did you make your decision regarding giving based in part on that thought that you ought to have every day? Um, this week, um, if you don't know, most, many of you do, I think, my, my wife's dad died and we were in Wenatchee caring for that and having a memorial service. And I went to, I, had, I, I was supposed to do a wedding last night and uh, had to find somebody to do that. And I, I actually had the documents with me, the legal documents that needed to be signed because I was going to get that all ready. I didn't think that we would be in Wenatchee all week long. We didn't expect him to die imminently and so on. So I had to FedEx those documents home, you know, overnight, get it back. I found somebody who could do the wedding and had to get that to him. And I went into the FedEx store. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to mention in casual situation, well, I've got to pass this back to somebody else because my father-in-law died and I'm here taking care of this. And I don't have any desire to burden people beyond, you know, especially just some clerk at the FedEx. But somehow it came up and, and there was an opportunity. The way she talked and whatnot, I thought, I need to stop right here and share the gospel with her. And I didn't do it. Just couldn't decide. I couldn't decide if I should or I shouldn't. And I walked away. And as I, as I drove away, I thought, I should have. I should have. That should be high on our priority list. God doesn't give you those opportunities all the time. I know that. But when he gives one, when you get that inkling, that needs to be part of our thought life so that we, as we walk through the day, we're saying, I'm supposed to be making disciples. I'm supposed to be making disciples. When we get our paycheck, I'm supposed to be making disciples. When we consider our social calendar, I'm supposed to be making disciples. I'm supposed to be helping people come to the Lord. When I consider a career path, I'm supposed to be helping people come to the Lord. And it's not good enough for me to be standing here preaching to the choir. It's good. It's not good enough. This needs to be a thought that we think. Am I making choices? When you consider what you're going to do with your free time, with your vacation, and and I'm not advocating that that you stand on the corner every free moment and share the gospel. I, I know God wants us to live a family life and so on and so forth. But in your thoughts, in the in the... In the group of thoughts that rattle around your head, is this one? 
Am I making decisions based on helping people come to faith in Christ? Another thought, am I approaching trials as tools of God to build my maturity? We, we spent a whole sermon talking about this as well, and I, but I just want to bring it back to your mind again. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Wow! <laughs> Do you glory in the hard times? Not me. I'm, I'm praying to God for deliverance. But we need to have an attitude that says, God is at work building my maturity. He says, tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. I tell you what, I don't want tribulation, but I do want character. And so the Apostle Paul says, we glory in that. Am I approaching trials? Is my thought process one of saying, when hardship comes, I go, okay, God's at work here. Two more thoughts. Do I confess every sin I'm aware of? Do you have a thought tucked away that says, every time the Holy Spirit convicts me, I will stop and I will confess? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants you to think this thought because this thought will help you to stay righteous. We're all going to fail. We're all going to do things that aren't right. And when we do, we say, God, that's wrong. I agree with you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help me to do the right thing next time. That needs to be an ongoing process. Here's the last one that I would share with you. And I just picked out a... (laughs) A series of random thoughts out of the scripture. Not totally random because they're based on some of the things we've been talking about. But you could have a long list of thoughts. But here's one. Do I forgive? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. The lack of forgiveness is a sin. It is not a condition which you are entitled to because somebody hurt you. And so we have to have a, a mental concept, we have to have a thought that's always rattling around our head, which is, I am always ready to forgive. There may be things I need to resolve, but I am ready to forgive. I am not ready, I am not excited about being angry and bitter and holding things over people's heads. I am ready to forgive. Now, the... the, the, the One of the broad things that I really want to get across to you today is this, in in this third thing, and I could have said, what are the the results of God's thoughts? But I just put it here in a statement. God's truth is empowered to renew our mind. God's truth is empowered to renew our mind. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. In the divine-human cooperative of spiritual growth... When I choose righteous thoughts, when I choose righteous thoughts and actively, purposefully meditate on them and act out of them, God changes my mind. And He remakes my mind to become like His, to be like His. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The thing that I most want you to grab this morning is this. All of these thoughts are powerful.
powerful because they're God's thoughts. The power in your life does not come from you working up a bunch of faith or a bunch of name-it-and-claim-it shenanigans. The power of the Christian life comes from you saying, here is God's thought. I will think it. And when I do that, God changes my mind. This is not talk therapy. This is not self-help. This is the God of the universe changing you from the inside out. Now, let me, let me challenge you with one more thought. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe a fella, wherever he is in the world, can pick up the Bible and read it and get saved? Okay. How many believes that can't happen? Okay. Do you believe the truth of God saved you? God saved you through his truth. Well, yes, we do. We know we've got to have the truth of God. We know we've either got to read it, somebody's got to tell it to us. We know we cannot get saved in any other way than by trusting what God says in the person of Christ. And yet when it comes to the Christian life, Somehow we forget that the same word that is powerful to communicate salvation is also powerful to communicate the stuff for life. I want to encourage you that God's word has been empowered. It is empowered to change your life. Well, this has been a full week for our family. Uh, Sue and I went to Wenatchee on Tuesday. She got a call that her dad was going downhill faster than expected. So we packed up and headed to Wenatchee, and she was able to speak with him somewhat. And then he gradually became more distant until Thursday morning his earthly life stopped. As, as you reflect in a time like that, one of the thoughts that I have is, can it be 33 years ago that I met him? Can 33 years have gone by like that? Boy, it feels like it. I, I shared this in the, uh, in the memorial service yesterday. I said, I still remember being in a hotel room trying to work up my courage to ask him if I could marry his daughter. Man, that was one of the hardest things I ever did. Whew. Fortunately, he, he was gracious. He was, he was nicer than I was. <laughs> you can ask about that later. How's it going to be 30 years from now in your life? 30 years from now, how's it going to be? Some of you think, well, I'm going to be with the Lord 30 years from now. Great. How's it going to be when you show up? Are you going to show up with joy up there? Uh, odds are I'll probably live another 30 years. I'm not, you know, the Lord willing. Longevity in our family and all that. How am I going to be in 30 years? If I think like God, it's going to be a great 30 years. And that's what I want to challenge you to, toward today. Thinking more like God. 
so that he comes out more in your life. Heavenly Father, thank you for empowering your truth. Thank you for making it possible that we could be saved and that we could become like Christ. Make that true in us, Father. Help us to take those steps day by day to to think like Christ and then to live for him out of those thoughts. Change us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.